following is a conversation with Carmel Haynes. Carmel Haynes is the executive director of VIBA, the Association for Global Business in Barbados, which represents over 140 member firms. She also sits on the board of directors of the Barbados Private Sector Association, BPSA. The big bottleneck for the majority of Caribbean countries is still the lack of access to the international capital and financial markets and the ability for businesses to accept and process online payments. I think that many Caribbean countries have to figure out a future-proof business model that makes them less dependent on foreign money and banks. There's a lot of work that needs to be done but I'm optimistic. This is the Simon Küpper podcast and this is my conversation with Carmel Haynes. Yeah, looking back the last few years or maybe the last I don't know, 12, 24 months, um, what are the, yeah, the main problems, the main troubles in, in Barbados from a, from a business and uh, economic perspective? Right, so... Um... Obviously, we had the economic downturn since, you know, 2008, which um, Barbados has been struggling to repair our, our economy since then. Um, and then we had in 2015 a change of government, which we were hoping um, there would have been, you know, in, in terms of new ideas, new initiatives to, to get the economy re-energized. Um, and it seemed that the new administration was putting plans in place um, to try to pivot to uh, really in terms of investing or resourcing more um, new technologies, such as we were looking at um, digital, a digital fiat currency. Mm -hmm. We have one of the technology firms uh, here in Barbados called BIT, which has actually been piloting um, with the Eastern Caribbean, the, the first um, digital currency in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we were hoping that we would see something like that taking off in Barbados. Um, they had been through a sandbox um, with both the Central Bank of Barbados and the Financial Services Commission in tandem. So, you know, that was looking pretty interesting. Um, government has also been looking at we have a, a green technology target um, for 2030. And so they were looking to resource more of that transformation in terms of green energy bonds, um, putting incentives in place for uh, retrofitting and, and conversion into um, you know, more sustainable um, green technologies, et cetera. But then of course we, from the end of 2019, early 2020 is when, you know, COVID started to rear its head and, and government has really been just in a, um, how should I put this, survival mode. Mm -hmm. The economy has, uh, we it's declined 18%. It's been a massive economic decline. Um, or tourism sector. So while I represent the global business sector, which is um, basically international multinational companies who operate from within Barbados or domestic companies that have um, global um, clientele 
um, service global entities. We are, this, I would say the second pillar of the economy. The main pillar of the economy is the tourism sector as is with most Caribbean islands. Right. And obviously with all of the travel restrictions, et cetera, and with the um, you know, countries, uh, our main source markets, for example, the UK, um, pretty much restricting uh, leisure travel, that really put a, a tailspin on our economic performance. Um, we have only about, I think it is about 10% of the um, of the hotels in Barbados are operating at over 30% occupancy. Um, it's, it's been a massive downturn. So obviously that had a knock-on effect, not only for the tourism workers, but all of the other industries that service tourism. So um, agriculture was very hard hit by that. Manufacturing was hard hit. And then you had, so apart from the hotels, you had all the various tourism attractions. Um, government saw its unemployment rate increase. Um, they had about, I think, 40,000 people registering for unemployment. Employment, which is almost a third of our workforce, um, you know, for seven. So it, it was a hit and therefore, um, and of course we are, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we are in an IMF restructuring program where we had certain targets that had to be met. And that was, um, so when you mentioned the fact that government, um, as you say, defaulted, but what they argue is that they paid the principal and not the interest. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't consider it technically having defaulted. Um, so it was a two-step two process. One, they did that to accommodate, um, to be able to at least meet some of their debt obligation. Mm -hmm. two, they went to the IMF um, for assistance in restructuring. So what also happened is you had a lot of the, the local banks um, holding government debt. And that when, you know, there was that haircut, um, a lot of them, a lot of the local footprint banks, because they're, they're really Canadian banks primarily, but, um, you know, they would have operations here. Uh, they also were negatively impacted by that because they were holding uh, so much government debt, which obviously, as you know, is considered one of the safest debts, supposedly, but- uh, Should be. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So um, that that's so that's the situation we're in now in Barbados. It it really is um, survival mode as government tries to you know attract support where it can. Recently, we've um, received some concessionary loans from the World Bank, which is the first time in decades because we had graduated as a you know a middle income country and so we had not been eligible for world bank support so recently as in within the last two weeks they've reported that we're getting some concessionary loans from the world bank of course we've had to draw down from the imf and our our um, sdr um, and then the idb etc so we're we really we're trying to to in terms of shore up our net international reserves um, through borrowing, which obviously is not that sustainable, but with Barbados being a net importer, we really need the, you know, the foreign exchange to be able 
to purchase so much of what we need. I mean, one of our highest um, expenditures is on energy. And, and, you know, with fuel prices rising, um, oil prices rising, uh, that is a huge, um, um, a huge portion of our import bill. Right. Yeah. So you said till 2030, you want or Barbados want to become green energy? Did I understand yes. that right? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, we had we have um, a green energy target. I can't remember what is the percentage, but more recently we did have a meeting with the, the Minister of um, Small Business and Commerce who's responsible for that. And mm -hmm. as he said, with COVID, um, that target is going to have to be revised given everything that's been going on. But yes, mm -hmm. that was where we were heading towards. Um, and it's all part of, as I said, our import substitution, trying to find ways to bring down that huge um, import bill that we have. Yeah. <clears throat> so you mentioned that a lot of the debt was held by um, local banks um, in Barbados. So commercial banks, yeah. Yeah. So how did that affect um, really the the businesses uh, in Barbados um, itself uh, in that regard? And how would you describe the current situation in Barbados in general when it comes to access to international capital markets, to financial markets, um, or even simple things like can uh, a company in Barbados uh, easily accept uh, online payments, for example, things of that nature. Um, yeah, what, how would you, how do you see that uh, current situation well, there? In terms of accepting online payments, um, and I would say that's one of the, the hurdles that you were um, querying about in terms of the digital transformation, because Barbados, COVID or the economy or whatever aside, Barbados has had for decades very strict exchange controls. And so this has made it very challenging in terms of, um, sorry, as in currency exchange controls, has made it very challenging in terms of um, getting the merchant banking accounts that provide for online banking, I'm sorry, online transactions. Right. That has been an ongoing challenge apart from COVID or anything else that's happening with the economy. Um, it's really challenging to be able for a small business person to be able to get a merchant account. Um, and also in terms of the percentages, uh, in terms of the commissions that the banks charge mm -hmm. for the accounts, um, that's also a, a bit of a damper to doing business uh, virtually. Uh, of course, you know, there are international solutions such as PayPal, et cetera. But again, because of the exchange controls, so for example, you could receive your funds, yes, to your PayPal account. Um, but in order to be able to get it into your Barbados account, it could take as much as 40 days, you know? So that is obviously for a small business person with um, very tight cash flow um, issues, uh, that's not sustainable, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of matches um, a lot of other Caribbean countries that kind of mm -hmm. have the same bottlenecks with the same problem here. Yeah. Um, so do you know where the 
let's say, yeah, the bottleneck is, are that the local merchant banks, are that the international banks that have, uh, as you said, the restrictions or regulatory environment that says, okay, maybe Barbados as other Caribbean countries doesn't have proper KYC regulations or enforcement um, in place. And that is the reason why it's so so hard to, uh, yeah, to get these connections or um, what would be your, you know, how, how do you see that? Yeah, I would not say that we do not have proper KYC. Um, I, the, the level of due diligence is actually one of the things um, creating that hurdle or that bottleneck because of um, what is imposed by the parent banks, you know, in Canada, et cetera. Um, yes, as you might be aware, we have had issues within the Caribbean um, because we tend to be lumped in with Latin America and especially uh, with a, a lot of the unrest. So there, you do see enhanced due diligence. Um, we've had some issues with, um, oh gosh, sorry, I forgot the term, um, correspondent banks. And those are the banks that are the intermediaries be between you know, the local um, indigenous banks and transferring funds or getting funds from the international market. So. Right. You know, we've had, so for example, Suriname, um, apparently all of the, you know, none of the correspondent banks would do business with Suriname. And it's, it's really created a severe issue in terms of getting foreign exchange in and out of that country. So unfortunately, the Caribbean does suffer from that. So I cannot say, I would not say that there is a specific problem to Barbados. I would say that because of the region we are in, um, we suffer from the enhanced due diligence and the, the KYC requirements. And what, um, what we have been told most recently by the banks, though, is um, I'm not sure if you're aware that in Barbados we're moving towards a digital ID. Um, we're going to have a, a digital ID card. And okay. yeah, so it is going to be a physical card, but it is going to also have um, digital slash biometric information that's contained and you know you can swipe the card and so what we've been told by the banks is once that um, gets going it was supposed to have been launched um, in April this year but again COVID has kind of pushed back everything yeah. um, so once that is in place we've been told by the banks that it should cut down on the amount of documentation that persons need to provide in order to open up bank accounts, because even to open a new bank account here, it's extremely challenging. Um, and that is a, a big complaint that small business people have um, to open a personal bank account. And it's even more challenging to open a, a business account. Yeah, it looks like that is still one of the, yeah, in, in most Caribbean countries, one of mm -hmm. the main bottlenecks that's true. So do you know, um, if that that ID um, has some blockchain technology where it's built on, or the, you mentioned a digital currency that um, Barbados uh, is planning, um, do you have any information about that? Well, not that Barbados is planning, that um, the private company that has the technology available had approached the Barbados government. Mm, okay. Yeah, uh, providing and and so there had been discussions, um, and as I said, there had been a, a trial where they had gone through a sandbox, but um, we are still not very clear as to what were the results and you know what is holding that back from 
actually coming to fruition. But as I noted, they are providing the service for the Eastern Caribbean. So you've seen what's happening. The Eastern Caribbean Central Bank has adopted it and they have rolled out now with a pilot um, on this, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it, it's a, a digital currency that they're using there. Uh, I think, or I hope that this uh, solves some of the problems um, in the future. But besides mm -hmm. um, the problem that we have with um, accepting payments or generally speaking, the, the free flow um, of money, what are other, not, not necessarily restrictions, but other bottlenecks that um, you think Barbados is struggling with or that you hear from business owners in Barbados um, that they are struggling with and that maybe technology, mm -hmm. digital technology, digital transformation can solve or at least uh, yeah, lower the suffering a little bit maybe. Yeah, so the other um, challenge I would see with that is, um, so we have an automated clearinghouse here, but right now it's only the banks themselves that are a part of it. None of the other non-banking financial institutions um, are a part of it, which are you know the credit unions um, or the any of the other financial institutions. Um, that are not regulated by the, the Central Bank of Barbados. So you have the Financial Services Commission that regulates the non-banking financial institutions mm -hmm. and then Central Bank, which um, regulates the banks and facilitates the automated clearinghouse. Um, in, I think it was, no, no earlier this year, um, the government uh, passed legislation. It's... Um, the legislation is a new, I don't know if you get the actual name, but I think it's like new payment system or something like that is, was the name of the act. And so that is now supposed to provide um, going forward for all of the non-banking financial institutions to also become part of this automated clearinghouse. It's gonna take some time, probably about nine to 12 months. But once that happens, then you should be able to see quicker turnaround in terms of bank transfers. Um, so instead of taking three business days, um, it would be instantaneous. And once that can happen, um, then you would be able to see quicker uh, payments, uh, et cetera. So that is a bottleneck, but it is one that's being, that is being resolved. Um, one of the other bottlenecks, which again, government is working on is facilitating payments to government itself using credit cards, um, bank transfers, et cetera. They have something called an easy payment portal, but right now that is only accepting payments for, cer for certain um, taxes, so your land tax. Um, I don't think it accepts payments for VAT. It does accept for income tax. Um, and I think your national insurance, but government now needs to facilitate where this easy pay portal can be used to pay all of the various, um, you know, obligations or bills, et cetera, that you have to government. So once that has been widened, um, then you definitely, that would create more of an ease of doing business as well. And so that is one of the things that Biba um, as the Association for Global Business, one of the things we champion is the need to improve the ease of doing business. 
Um, you know, we have been for over, for probably the last decade, we have been slipping continuously on the World Bank's ease of doing business report. And really and truly as a jurisdiction that prides itself on being able to attract international business and international investment, we really need to improve our standing on that report because that is one of, um, you know, our marketing tools, right? You know, if we can say, and in terms of incorporation, in terms of um, being able to, to quickly make payments and, and receive funds back, et cetera, if that can be improved, then it will make us more marketable on the world stage. Yeah, that sounds good. But one question regarding that, how good is the, let's call it digital infrastructure in Barbados, meaning how good would you rate the, the internet penetration and the availability of, let's just call it, uh, yeah, devices at the end of the day? Oh, no, we have an extremely high internet penetration. <laughs> okay. I think it is supposed to be about... Um, there are a hundred and I think 120 something thousand connected, um, in terms of with people with internet connections in Barbados, which is almost about half of our population. And then obviously if you, you know, take out for children and elderly people that, that actually a very high penetration, um, on average, everybody has about two mobile phones. So, yeah. So you're set. <laughs> yes, we are, we are set in that regard in terms of the, the mobile um, penetration and, and the, the internet reach. Um, what needs to happen, though, is the mobile payment platforms. That is what we really need to take off here. And so, you know, we, we did have MasterCard visit about, I think, a year and a half or two years ago uh, to make a presentation to the small business sector, small business association members about, you know, providing mobile, a mobile payment system, but nothing has materialized since then. And so I think just as we've seen, you know, where you've seen in Haiti or Africa, or et cetera, where you've seen them leapfrog and start using this mobile payment technology, um, And that has really brought the unbanked into, even in China as well, we've seen a large penetration with that. So it brings the unbanked into the system uh, and cuts out all of that problem with people trying to get bank accounts and the difficulty of it. So if we could see that happening here, that would really be a game changer. I would definitely agree on that, especially in the, the African countries that you mentioned. A lot of them literally skipped landline completely, skipped to yep. mobile phones. And uh, yep. basically their mobile phone is their ID, is their bank yep. account uh, and mm -hmm. everything. And um, I absolutely agree that that can be that kind of leap, uh, yeah, that kind of acceleration or, or growth mm -hmm. um, in, in that areas. And I also think, or get back the question uh let me give the question back to you what do you think in terms of let's call it the business model of caribbean countries or more specifically in that case um barbados because as you said earlier small country uh, small gdp a lot of money comes from tourism therefore it's very dependent on uh, the global economy are people coming are people visiting um etc um 
for example, when I look at certain um, European countries like Estonia, um, Latvia, etc., um, they are also after yeah, 1990, after the Soviet Union collapsed, um, very small economies, um, very small countries, very small population, and um, they're kind of shifted their business model to a kind of digital hub for for companies, um, etc. Um, so they kind of found their business model, even as a small or as small countries. Um, so what is your perspective or, or your take on that? Could that be a model where a lot of Caribbean countries can find their future place in the region or in a more and more global economy and maybe specifically Barbados? Yes, um, I do think so. Uh, given the, you know, our constrained land sizes, small islands, small developing states, um, we have a carrying capacity issue. There are only so many tourists that you can pack on the island. There are only so much water and other resources that you know you can divert to sustaining these hotels, etc., and and these visitors. So therefore, when you have um, service based, and when I say service, because obviously tourism is a service base, but in export services that can grow exponentially without increasing their footprint, uh, I think that is a great model for the Caribbean. So yes, um, digital technologies where you can service people all over the globe from the comfort of your home or your office, et cetera, um, where you can scale up through using consultants, um, networks, et cetera, without having to have um, you know, people actually coming into your country where you can use homegrown human resources, et cetera. I think that is a, a great model for the Caribbean. And I'm pleased to see most recently with our education system here that they're starting a pilot where they're looking at introducing um, programming into the schools from a young age. So mm -hmm. right, do programming at the university, but they obviously realize coding and programming is a skill that children need from a very young age to make them more marketable in these times. And so that um, is going to be introduced, I believe, from the new school year uh, that will start in September. So there, there is a recognition. It just needs the, the will <laughs> to get it done. Yeah, um, I, agree. I believe as well from what I've heard, but I haven't seen anything official, um, officially presented by government that we are looking at having um, a technology uh, duty-free zone as well. So I believe we are looking at having Barbados be a hub for technology companies within the Caribbean. So it, there are certain things that are in train, but we're just not there yet, unfortunately. Yeah, still a long way to go, but I think yeah. every country kind of got that uh, wake up call through the pandemic, mm -hmm. like oh, there's a lot of potential and a lot of work to do um, in terms of yeah, digital transformation. And I'm sure we are aware of the Estonia model because we have had consultants come here um, from Estonia um, and make presentations, not only to the government, but also the private sector on, on what they've done um, how they got there and, you know, what could be best applicable for Barbados. And what would you say? Are there any highlights? Would you say, okay, that would be things that you could pick from Estonia from that presentation? Anything that you still have in mind? 
Um, well, I think as we discussed before, the really and truly how they have equipped people to do um, online commerce very, very easy, easily, very rapidly um, from devices and, and you do not need um, in terms of all of the, the restrictions, et cetera, that banks provide because of, you know, their KYC requirements. So I think that is something that we really need to accelerate. Uh, the other thing is obviously in terms of not necessarily just Estonia, but the whole idea of really seeing ourselves as being able to provide services on a, for the globe, you know, understanding that, especially, you know, what we've seen now with all the acceleration in Zoom and Teams and other online platforms where you can have meetings virtually and, you, you know, you can present yourself um, virtually to clients or potential clients overseas that I think we really need to embrace the fact that we are part of a globalized world and we can sell our services anywhere. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that's why I think it's a the right or a good decision or a smart decision um, from the government or whoever is responsible in Barbados for teaching these skills, programming, mm -hmm. for example, or generally yeah, digital literacy or however you want to call it, um, the skills that you need to not only yeah, be on Instagram and watch YouTube videos, <laughs> but actually how do I translate that uh, into yeah. valuable business skills yeah. um, at mm -hmm. the end of the day. Um, so do you see any efforts um, besides that, besides starting in, uh, yeah, let's say in younger school uh, levels with things like programming? Are there any other efforts in that regard in educating the workforce or skilling up the workforce? Well, I know that um, the BIDC, which is the Barbados Investment Development Corporation, that is the um, export promotion agency of government, that they have had at least one incubator program with a software company um, that, you know, was looking to, to really incubate and nurture programming and coding uh, amongst the, the population, trying to, to pull um, persons who are in that field together to have you know, that was, I think, about a year ago. And there is there has been some interest as well with some other technology companies in doing that. So I'm seeing it definitely from the private sector in tandem with government to try to build out those skills, not just at that very young level, but also to, to pull from who, especially, um, you know, the millennials <laughs> in the market place who already have those skills and, and how can we harness them so meaning that there's also a need or a push from the private sector because they need yes. the people that have the yes. skills so it's mm -hmm. self-interest in in that regard to make sure that, uh, that they train people okay yeah that uh, mm -hmm. that makes sense absolutely um yeah anything else that you yeah, or that you see right now um, in, in Barbados, um, yeah, that is important to, to talk about or I think, um, yeah, where, where um, business is struggling with right now. Right. So specifically what, again, the, the particular niche area that I deal with in terms of global business, 
Um, what we have been challenged with is the international regulatory hurdles. So obviously, you know, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, they are pretty much in terms of, I don't know if you've heard about the various blacklistings, um, where from a, a tax perspective, they have placed Barbados under enhanced scrutiny. And you mean from a regulatory finance? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so, and of course, FATF, which you, you should be aware of, yeah. Financial Action Task Force. Um, so both of the OECD and FATF, the OECD graduated us to a gray list and FATF has us on a gray list. Um, so what that has meant is you are seeing in terms of the, oh, and, and sorry, and the European Union, the OECD, FATF and the European Union um, have placed us on these various black or gray lists over the, the since about 2019. And what you've seen then is it makes it challenging for Barbados in terms of um, attracting new investment because of, of the fact that you've got this enhanced due diligence and scrutiny of funds coming into the Caribbean, I mean, into Barbados, especially from Europe. Uh, we know of, of a couple of large investment projects that have been put on hold because of just getting the funds from the banks in the European Union into Barbados um, has been very, very challenging um, because of the scrutiny. And unfortunately, it's not that Barbados has not been improving its local regulatory um, you know, enforcement. It's just that because of the report, the timing of the reporting periods, it means that we were assessed on historical deficiencies and so therefore we have to wait until the next assessment period um, to be graduated from these lists. So unfortunately in that interim, you know, two year period or so, mm -hmm. it's making it very difficult for us. And then of course, you would have heard the rumblings about the global minimum tax that, right. you know, it's being discussed. Mm -hmm. Seven of the G20 and, and the OECD and that is going to be a challenge as well, or is a challenge in terms of us trying to wrap our, our minds around what impact this will have on Barbados and some of the other Caribbean islands that are low tax jurisdictions because it then um, or competitive advantage in terms of attracting these multinational companies uh, will potentially be eroded by not being able to offer a lower, you know, tax rate. Uh, so those those are some of the issues that we are facing here. And unfortunately, now that we've had the tourism downturn, global business has been what has really been pouring money into the foreign exchange, into government's coffers through um, the corporate taxes that our sector pays. Now, if the tax rate, corporate income tax rate goes up where it no longer makes sense for companies, for new companies to come into Barbados, we're going to see um, that that area is not going to be able to grow. And so it's gonna be a double whammy for us. So we're really very concerned about the implications of 
um, this global minimum tax rate. Uh, and then the knock-on effect of that is our economies, when you have these struggling economies, it means that you're going to see more migration, you're going to see um, legal and illegal migration. Um, and then the problem is going to turn up on the doorsteps of these same companies that have tried to claw back um, the corporate taxes from the region, right? So I think there needs to be a, a longer term, um, more global thinking really about this problem to see not just, okay, yes, the larger countries have been impacted by COVID. Um, they're looking for ways to, to shore back up their, um, you know, their treasury in terms of, of the funds they're bringing in because of their own, the hit that their own income tax, both corporate and personal has taken. Mm -hmm. When you have this, this decision taken at that level, it has real implications for the smaller countries who have not, you've not seen as you would have in decades past where you've had from the Caribbean, large influxes of migrants going into these centers because they're able to find, you know, the meaningful jobs in their own countries. They're able to find um, employment that can sustain them and their family. When you take that away, it means that you're going to start seeing mass migration again, going into these centers, trying to find work. Um, and then remittances are going to flow back into the Caribbean. So it, it really is, I don't think something that the full implications are being discussed about what this would mean once you just, once you just claw back this corporate tax by attracting businesses back into the centers. And then of course, on the, the other um, follow from that is the expense. Uh, when you have these commodities, et cetera, which, you, you know, these companies that are not benefiting from um, these tax savings, then that means they're going to have to pass on the expense of this to the consumers by raising the prices on their products. So, you know, Americans, Europeans, the British, they are quite happy to have low cost goods, but do they understand that the cost of those goods are only because of the fact that companies have a right to be able to position themselves in a way that brings down their obligations and they can pass on those savings to consumers. Um, once everybody is paying the same 15%, what's gonna happen there in terms of their ability to be competitive? Yeah, that's certainly true. So what is your personal outlook for Barbados? Because I think that was very insightful from an economic perspective. What do you personally see Barbados over the next years? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, one has to live in hope. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Really, really all we keep saying is that it cannot get any worse. So it must get better. Uh, but there, there are serious and significant challenges. Un unless uh, we can see a good resurgence in our tourism um, business. And the last we can see uh, in terms of the secured certainty and security on the, on the corporate business side, in terms of not having these challenges from the various international regulators, then we are going to be in a precarious position because we need 
we are unsustainable without that foreign influx of both people and currency, right? So we need it on the tourism side, we need it on the global business side. Um, right now, the Barbados uh, economic model is not designed, unfortunately, to be sustainable without, without that international uh, influx of currency um, and business. So I am, I am hopeful that these things will get resolved and that um, we will be able to, you know, put the best brains together on both the private and public sector side to come up with new strategies, but it is worrisome. Thank you very much for taking the time. That was very um, insightful. And I think um, people learned um, a lot. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Well, me personally or Biba? Because whatever you prefer. Okay. Well, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn as Carmel Haynes, but Biba itself has a website, www.biba.bb, uh, where you can learn more about the organization and where you can uh, learn more about the sort of issues that we are dealing with. So I would invite anybody to reach out to me personally or reach out to Biba through our website, and um, I'd be happy to respond. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Carmel Haynes. I appreciate it and hope to see you next time.